Chapter Seven of the Laughing Cavalier, Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Johns, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Laughing Cavalier, Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel, by Baroness Ortsy. Chapter Seven: Three Philosophers and Their Friends whereupon chance forged yet another link in the chain of a man's destiny i pray you follow me now to the tapperage of the lame cow i had not asked you to accompany me thither were it not for the fact that the lame cow situate in the Kleinhautstraat, not far from the cathedral was a well-ordered and highly respectable tavern where indeed the sober merrymakers of harlem as well as the gay and gilded youth of the city were wont to seek both pleasure and solace you all know the house with its flat facade of red brick its small windows and tall very tall gabled roof that ends in a point high up above the front door the tapperage is on your left as you enter it is wainscoted with oak which was already black with age in the year sixteen twenty three above the wainscot of the walls are whitewashed and my near back the host of the lame cow who is a pious man has hung the walls round with scriptural texts appropriate to his establishment such as eat drink and be merry and drink thy wine with a merry heart from which i hope that i have convinced you that the lame cow was an eminently orderly place of conviviality where worthy burghers of harlem could drink ale and hot posset in the company of mevrus their wives and it was to this highly praised and greatly respected establishment that three tired-out and very thirsty philosophers repaired this new year's night instead of attending the watch-night service at one of the churches diogenes feeling that three guilders still reposed safely in his wallet declared his intention of continuing his career as a gentleman and a gentleman of course could not resort to one of those low-class taverns which were usually good enough for foreign adventurers and thus did fate have her will with him and brought him here this night moreover the tap-room of the lame cow wore a very gay appearance always on new year's night it was noted for its clientele on that occasion for the good rhenish wine which it dispensed and for the gay sight engendered by the sunday gowns of the burghers and their ladies who came here after service for a glass of wine and multifarious relish as the night was fine despite the hard frost my near beak expected to be unusually busy already he had arranged on the polished tables the rows of pewter platters heaped up with delicacies which he knew would be in great request when the guests would begin to arrive smoked sausage garnished with horseradish roasted liver and slabs of cheese the serving wenches with the sleeves of their linen shifts tucked well up above their round red arms their stolid faces streaming with perspiration were busy polishing tables that already were over-polished and making pewter mugs to shine that already shone with a dazzling radiance for the nonce the place was still empty and the philosophers when they entered were able to select the table at which they wished to sit one near the hearth in which blazed gigantic logs and at which they could stretch out their limbs with comfort at diogenes suggestion they all made hasty repairs to their disordered toilet and readjusted the set of their collars and cuffs with the help of the small mirror that hung close by against the wall 
three strange forms of truth that were thus mirrored in turns socrates with a hole in his head now freshly bandaged with a bit of clean linen by the sympathetic hand of a serving-maid his hooked nose neatly washed till it shone like the pewter handle of a knife his pointed cranium but sparsely furnished with lanky black hair peeping out above the bandage like a yellow wurzel in wrappings of paper his arms and legs were unusually long and unusually thin and he had long lean hands and long narrow feet but his body was short and slightly bent forward as if under the weight of his head which was also narrow and long his neck was like that of a stork that has been half plucked it rose from out the centre of his ruffled collar with a curious undulating movement which suggested that he could turn it right round and look at the middle of his own back he wore a brown doublet of duffle and brown trunks and hose and boots that appeared to be too big even for his huge feet beside him pythagoras looked like the full stop in a semicolon for he was but little over five feet in height and very fat his doublet of thick green cloth had long ago burst its buttons across his protuberant chest his face which was round as a full moon was highly coloured even to the tip of his small upturned nose and his forehead crowned by a thick mass of red-brown hair which fell in heavy and lanky waves down to his eyebrows was always wet and shiny he had a habit of standing with his legs wide apart his abdomen thrust forward and his small podgy hands resting upon it his eyes were very small and blinked incessantly below his double chin he wore a huge bow of starched white linen which at this moment was sadly crumpled and stained and his collar which also had seen more prosperous days was held together by a piece of string like his friend socrates his trunk and hose were of worsted and he wore high leather boots which reached well above the knee and looked to have been intended for a much taller person the hat with the tall sugar-loaf crown which he had picked up after the fray in the damstreet was much too small for his big round head he tried before the mirror to adjust it at a becoming angle in strange contrast to these two worthies was their friend whom they called diogenes he himself had you questioned him ever so closely could not have told you from what ancestry or what unknown parent had come to him that air of swagger and of assurance which he avowed penury had never the power to subdue tall above the average powerfully built and solidly planted on firm limbs he looked what he easily might have been a gentleman to the last inch of him the brow was fine and broad the nose sensitive and well shaped the mouth a perfect expression of gentle irony the soft brown hair abundant and unruly lent perhaps a certain air of untamed wildness to the face whilst the upturned moustache and the tiny tuft below the upper lip accentuated the look of devil-may-care independence which was the chief characteristic of the mouth but the eyes were the most remarkable feature of all they shone with an unconquerable merriment they twinkled and sparkled and smiled and mocked they winked and they beckoned they were eyes to which you were obliged to smile in response eyes that made you laugh if you felt ever so sad eyes that jested even before the mouth had spoken and the mouth itself was permanently curved into a smile unlike his two companions diogenes was dressed not only with scrupulous care but with a show of elegance his doublet though well worn was fashioned of fine black cloth the slashed sleeves still showed the remnants of gold embroidery 
whilst the lace of his pleated collar was of beautiful design having completed their toilet the three friends sat at their table and sipped their ale and wine in comparative silence for a time socrates weary with his wound soon fell asleep with his arms stretched out before him and his head resting on the bend of his elbow pythagoras too nodded in his chair but diogenes remained wide awake and no doubt mynheer beek's wine gave him pleasing thoughts for the merry look never fled from his eyes half an hour later you would scarce have recognized the tapperage from its previous orderly silence for at about one o'clock it began to fill very fast mynheer beek's guests were arriving it was still bitterly cold and they all came into the warm room clapping their hands together and stamping the frozen snow off their feet loudly demanding hot ale or mulled wine to be supplemented later on by more substantial fare the two serving wenches were more busy hotter and more profusely streaming with moisture than they had ever been before it was kathy here and louise why don't you hurry all over the tapperidge now and every moment the noise became louder and more cheery every corner of the low raftered room was filled to overflowing with chairs and tables people sat everywhere where a perch was to be found on the corners of the tables and on the window-sill and many sat on the floor who could not find room elsewhere the women sat on the men's knees and many of them had children in their arms as well for indeed on watch night room had to be found for every one who wanted to come in no one who wanted to drink and to make merry must be left to wander out in the cold a veritable babel of tongues made the whitewashed walls echo from end to end for harlem was now a mightily prosperous city and there were a great many foreign traders inside her walls and some of these had thought to make merry this night in the famed tap-room of the lame cow french merchants with their silks english ones with fine cloths and paper then there were the jew dealers from frankfurt and amsterdam and the walloon cattle drovers from flanders here and there the splendid uniform of a member of one of the shooting guilds struck a note of splendor among the drabs and russets of worsted doublets and the brilliant crimson or purple sashes gleamed in the feeble light of the tallow candles which spluttered and flickered in their sconces then among them all were the foreign mercenaries from italy or brabant or germany or from god knows where loud of speech aggressive in appearance carrying swords and wearing spurs filling the place with their swagger and their ribaldry they had come to the netherlands at the expiration of the truce with spain offering to sell their sword and their skin to the highest bidder they seemed all to be friends and boon companions together called each other queer fantastic names and shouted their rough jests to one another across the width of the room homeless shiftless thriftless they knew no other names save those which chance or the coarse buffoonery of their friends had endowed them with there was a man here to-night who was called Ryface, and another who went by the name of gutter rat not one amongst them mayhap could have told you who his father was or who his mother nor where he himself had first seen the light of day but they all knew of one another's career of one another's prowess in the field at prague or ghent or magdeburg and they formed a band of brothers offensive and defensive which was the despair of the town guard whenever the law had to be enforced against any one of them it was at that hour when mynheer beek was beginning to hope that his guests would soon bethink themselves of returning home 
and leaving him to his own supper and bed that a party of these worthies made noisy interruption into the room they brought with them an atmosphere of boisterous gaiety with their clanking spurs and swords their loud verbiage and burly personality heck da yelled one of these in a centaurian voice whom have we there snug and cosy in the warmest corner of this hole but our three well-beloved philosophers diogenes old compeer he shouted still louder than before is there room in your tub for your friends plenty round this table old noble gutter-rat shouted diogenes in joyful response but let me give you warning that space as well as common funds are running short and that every newcomer who wants to sit must stand the others a draught of ale apiece that is the price of a corner of this bench on which ye may sit if you have a mind done with you agreed all the newcomers lustily and with scant ceremony they pushed their way through the closely packed throng they took no notice of the mutterings of more sober customers angered at seeing their mantles crushed or feeling their toes trodden on it suddenly seemed as if the whole place belonged to these men and that the peaceful burghers of the city were only here on sufferance the three philosophers had already called for some old rhenish wine on draught kathy and louise brought pewter jugs and more goblets along soon gutter rat and his friends were installed at the table squeezed against one another on the narrow wooden benches pythagoras had already rolled off his corner seat and was sitting on the floor diogenes was perched on the corner of the table socrates roused by the noise opened a pair of heavy eyes and blinked round him in astonishment gutter rat deposited his bulky form close beside him and brought his large and grimy hand down on the shoulder of the sleepy philosopher hello wise socrates he cried in his rough husky voice i hope you have been having pleasant dreams no i have not growled socrates laconically take no need of him laughed diogenes he has a hole in his head through which his good temper has been oozing out bit by bit and yet if you'll all believe me he has been reposing there so peacefully and snoring so lustily that i thought he must be dreaming of heaven and the last trumpet call i was dreaming of all the chances which pythagoras and i have missed to-night owing to your blank nonsense said socrates who was more sulky now than he had been before he went to sleep pythagoras uttered a prolonged sigh and gazed meditatively down into the depths of his mug of ale gutter-rat and the others looked inquiringly from one philosopher to the other diogenes been at his tricks again asked gutter-rat socrates and pythagoras nodded in their gloomy response gallantry eh some beauteous damsel to succour whom we throw our life our best chances away continued the other with ironical sympathy the while diogenes entire face was wreathed in one huge all-embracing smile gutter-rat admonished him with solemn voice and uplifted finger conduct unworthy a philosopher he said if he had only injured himself growled socrates and let us enjoy the gifts which a beneficent goddess was ready to pour into our lap added pythagoras dulcetly from the floor let's hear the story concluded gutter-rat the others clapped their mugs against the table-top and shouted the story the story to the accompaniment of din that drowned all other noises in the room pythagoras from his lowly position began his narrative in a faint injured tone of voice he related the incidents of this night from the moment when the chance of possessing oneself 
with but little trouble of a tulip-bulb worth fifteen thousand florins was so airily flouted down to the alpha moment when a young and beauteous lady made offers of influence and of money which were equally airily refused gutter-rat and the others listened attentively they specially relished the exciting incidents connected with the affray in the damstrait the breaking of jan teal's nose and the dispersal of the mob with the aid of a lighted torch bravo splendid they shouted at intervals and loudly expressed their regret at having missed such furious fun socrates threw in a word or two now and then when pythagoras did not fully explain his own valorous position in the fight but diogenes said nothing at all he allowed his comrade to tell the tale his own way the recollection of it seemed to afford him vast amusement for he hummed a lively tune to himself all the while pythagoras now was mimicking his friend throwing into this performance all the disgust which he felt raise thy hand to my lips mejuffrouw he said mincing his words momentarily i have not the use of mine own his round beady eyes appealed to his listeners for sympathy and there is no doubt that he got that in plenty gutter rat more especially highly disapproved of the denouement of what might have proved a lucrative adventure the rich john might even have fallen in love with you he said sternly to diogenes and endowed you with her father's wealth and influence that's just my complaint said pythagoras but no what else do you think he said earlier in the evening well to-night we'll behave like gentlemen quoted the other with ever-growing disgust and not like common thieves why to-night queried gutter rat in amazement why more especially to-night pythagoras and socrates both shrugged their shoulders and suggested no explanation after which there was more vigorous clapping of mugs against the table-top and diogenes was loudly summoned to explain why to-night why to-night was shouted at him from every side diogenes face became for one brief moment quite grave quite grave be it said but for his eyes which believe me could not have looked grave had they tried because he said at last when the shouts around him had somewhat subsided i had three guilders in my wallet because my night's lodging is assured for the next three nights and because my chief creditor has died like a hero therefore o oh comrades all i could afford the luxury what luxury sneered gutter rat in disgust to refuse the patronage of an influential burgher of this city backed by the enthusiasm of the beauteous damsel his daughter to refuse all patronage good comrade assented diogenes with emphasis bah for twenty-four hours yes for twenty-four hours friend gutter rat while those three florins last and i have a roof over my head for which i have already paid i can for those four-and-twenty hours afford the luxury of doing exactly and only what it pleases me to do he threw up his head and stretched out his massive limbs with a gesture of infinite satisfaction his merry mocking glance sweeping over the company of watch-night revellers out at elbows ragamuffins and sober burghers with their respectable vrouws all of whom were gaping on him open-mouthed for four-and-twenty hours my dear gutter-rat he continued after a long sigh of contentment that is during this day which has just dawned and the night which must inevitably follow it i am going to give myself the luxury of speaking only when i choose and of being dumb if the fancy so takes me while my three florins last and i know that i need not sleep under the stars i shall owe my fealty only to my whim 
i shall dream when and what i like sing what i like walk in company or alone for four-and-twenty hours i need not be the ivy that clings nor the hose that is ragged at the knee i shall be at liberty to wear my sash awry my shoes unbuckled my hat tilted at an angle which pleases me best above all o worthy rat of the gutter i need not stoop for four-and-twenty hours one inch lower than i choose or render aught to caesar for caesar will have rendered naught to me on this the first day of the new year there is no man or woman living who can dictate to me what i shall do and to-night in the lodgings for which i have paid when i am asleep i can dream that i am climbing up the heights toward a mountain-top which mayhap doth not quite stretch as far as the clouds but which i can reach alone to-day and to-night i am a man and not a bit of ribbon that flutters at the breath of man or woman who has paid for the fluttering with patronage gradually as he spoke and his fresh young voice sonorous with enthusiasm rang clearly from end to end of the raftered room conversation laughter bibulous songs were stilled and every one turned to look at the speaker wondering who he could be the good burghers of harlem had no liking for the foreign mercenaries for whom they professed vast contempt because of their calling and because of the excesses which they committed at the storming of these very walls which event was within the memory of most therefore though they were attracted by the speaker they were disgusted to find that he belonged to that rabble but the women thought that he was goodly to look upon with those merry twinkling eyes of his and that atmosphere of light-heartedness and a gaiety which he diffused around him some of the men who were there and who professed knowledge in such matters declared that this man's speech betrayed him for an englishman i like not the race said a pompous man who sat with wife and kindred around a table loaded with good things i remember the english leicester and his crowd men of loose morals and doubtful piety braggarts and roisterers we all thought them this man is very like some of them in appearance thou speakest truly o wise citizen of this worthy republic said diogenes boldly answering the man's low-spoken words my father was one of the roisterers who came in english leicester's train an englishman he of loose morals and doubtful piety no doubt but your sound dutch example and my mother's dutch blood heaven rest her soul have both sobered me since then he looked round at the crowd of faces all of which were now turned toward him kindly faces and angry ones contemptuous eyes and good-natured ones and some that expressed both compassion and reproof by the lord he said and as he spoke he threw back his head and burst into a loud and prolonged fit of laughter but i have never in my life seen so many ugly faces before there was a murmur and many angry words among the assembly one or two of the men half rose from their seats scowling viciously and clenching their fists master beek perspiring with anxiety saw these signs of a possible fray the thought drove him well-nigh frantic an affray in his establishment on new year's morning it was unthinkable he rushed round to his customers with a veritable dictionary of soothing words upon his tongue gentlemen gentlemen he entreated i beg of you to calm yourselves i humbly beseech you to pay no heed to these men plepshirk insolent rabble quoth a corpulent gentleman who was crimson with wrath yes mynheer yes yes stammered beek meekly but they are foreigners they they do not understand our dutch ways but they mean no harm they 
some of the younger men were not easily pacified throw them out beak said one of them curtly they make the place insufferable with their bragging and their insolence muttered another diogenes and his friends could not help but see these signs of latent storm and mynheer beek's feeble efforts at pacifying his wrathful guests diogenes had laughed long and loudly now he had to stop in order to wipe his eyes which were streaming then quite casually he drew bucephalus from its scabbard and thoughtfully examined its blade almost simultaneously the fraternity of merrymakers at his table also showed a sudden desire to examine the blade of their swords and immediately half a dozen glints of steel caught the reflection of tallow candles i would not assert that order was restored because of these unconscious gestures on the part of the insolent rabble aforesaid but certain it is that within the next few seconds decorum once more prevailed as if magic had called it forth my near beak heaved a sigh of relief all that you said just now was well spoken sir broke in a firm voice which proceeded him from a group of gentlemen who sat at a table next to the one occupied by the philosophers and their friends but twere interesting to hear what you propose doing on the second day of this new year diogenes was in no hurry to reply the man who had just spoken sat directly behind him and bucephalus so it seemed still required his close attention when he had once more replaced his faithful friend into its delicately wrought scabbard he turned leisurely round and from the elevated position which he still occupied on the corner of the table he faced his interlocutor what i propose doing he quoth politely why yes you said just now that for four-and-twenty hours you were free to dream and to act as you will but how will it be to-morrow to-morrow sir rejoined diogenes lightly i shall be as poor in pocket as the burghers of harlem are in wits and then yes and then why then sir i shall once more become an integral portion of that rabble to which you and your friends think no doubt that i rightly belong i shall not have one silver coin in my wallet and in order to obtain a handful i shall be ready to sell my soul to the devil my skin to the stadtholder and your honour sir queried the other with a sneer to whom will you sell that precious guerdon to-morrow to you sir retorted diogenes promptly and you are short of the commodity an angry word rose to the other man's lips but his eyes encountered those of his antagonist and something in the latter's look something in the mocking eyes the merry face seemed to disarm him and to quench his wrath he even laughed good-humouredly and said well spoken sir you had me fairly there with the point of your tongue no doubt you are equally skilful with the point of your rapier it shall be at your service after to-morrow sir rejoined diogenes lightly you live by the profession of arms sir no offence tis a noble calling though none too lucrative i understand my wits supply sir what my sword cannot always command you are ambitious i told my friends just now wherein lay my ambition money and independent competence so i understand but surely at your age and if you will pardon mine outspokenness with your looks sir women or mayhap one woman must play some part in your dreams of the future women sir retorted diogenes dryly should never play a leading role in the comedy of a philosopher's life as a means to an end perhaps the final date numon always that one aim i see a desire for complete independence which the possession of wealth alone can give always replied the other curtly 
and beyond that desire what is your chief ambition sir to be left alone when i have no mind to talk said diogenes with a smile which was so pleasant so merry so full of self-deprecating irony that it tempered the incivility of his reply again the other bit his lip checking an angry word for some unexplained reason he appeared determined not to quarrel with this insolent young knave the other stared at their friend in utter astonishment what fly hath bitten beristein's ear whispered one of them under his breath i have never known him so civil to a stranger or so unwilling to take offence certainly the other man's good humour did not seem to have abated one jot after an imperceptible moment's pause he rejoined with perfect suavity you do not belie your name sir i heard your friends calling you diogenes and i feel proud that you should look on me as alexander and call on me to stand out of your sunshine i crave your pardon sir said diogenes somewhat more seriously my incivility is unwarrantable in the face of your courtesy no doubt it had its origins in the fact that like my namesake i happen to want nothing at the moment to-morrow sir and you are minded to pay for my services to ask for my sword my soul or my wits and in exchange will offer me the chance of winning a fortune or of marrying a wife who is both rich and comely why sir i shall be your man and will even endeavour to satisfy you with the politeness of my speech and the promptness and efficiency of my deeds to-morrow sir you and the devil will have an equal chance of purchasing my soul for a few thousand guilders my wits for a paltry hundred my skin for a good supper and a downy bed to-morrow the desire will seize me once again to possess wealth at any cost and my friends here will have no cause to complain of my playing a part which becomes a penniless wastrel like myself so ill the part of a gentleman until then sir i bid you good-night the hour is late and mynheer beek is desirous of closing this abode of pleasure as for me my lodgings being paid for i do not care to leave them unoccupied whereupon he rose and to mynheer beek who came to him with that same ubiquitous smile which did duty for all the customers of the lame cow he threw the three silver guilders which the latter demanded in payment for the wine and ale supplied to the honourable gentleman then as he met the mocking glance of his former interlocutor he said with a recrudescence of gaiety i still have my lodgings gentle sir and need not sell my soul or my skin until after i have felt a gnawing desire for breakfast with a graceful flourish of his plumed hat he bowed to the assembled company and walked out of the tap-room of the lame cow with swagger that would have befitted the audience-chamber of a king in his wake followed the band of his boon companions they too strode out of the place with much jingle of steel and loud clatter of heavy boots and accoutrements they laughed and talked loudly as they left and gesticulated with an air of independence which once more drew upon them the wrathful looks and contemptuous shrugs of the sober townsfolk diogenes alone as he finally turned once again in the doorway encountered many a timid glance levelled at him that were soft and kindly these glances came from the women from the young and from the old for women are strange creatures of whims and of fancies and there was something in the swaggering insolence of that young malapert that made them think of breezy days upon the seashore of the song of the soaring lark of hyacinths in bloom and the young larches on the edge of the wood and i imagine that their sluggish dutch blood yielded to these influences 
and was greatly stirred by memories of youth end of chapter seven recording by dion gines salt lake city utah